0: Welcome to Revere
1: Asset Management's Your Money with Danny Stewart. The market will always overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And Don Vandenberg,
0: Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep.
1: Hello, hello, hello. And even though it's freezing in Texas, or it's going to be real soon, it's on the way. This cold front CPI came in hot. It came in real hot, and the markets, markets, eh, just shrugged it off. Now, initially, the markets was positive before that CPI number came out, and then it sold off and had a dip and went in the red, and then it recovered. Now, a short time ago, and you say, why is that such a big deal? Who cares? Well, what a difference just a few weeks, days make. Just remember, a couple months ago, everybody was worried when the Fed was going to take their throat off of the neck of the, of, the, of the economy and stop raising rates. And they finally said, we're going to pause. And then CPI comes in hot. A few months ago, CPI meant the Fed was going to continue to raise and, and the markets would have sold off horribly, right? Because Fedenstein, that monster, the Fed, The Fettinstein would have to kill inflation. Now, not so much. Quite frankly, I think we ought to just kill the monster and be done with it and stop these boom and bubs Michaels. But what do I know? Anyway, remember, folks, it is an election year. That means the Fed wants to be invisible. And what I mean by that is they do not want to be a political event. They don't want to be a campaign, someone running their campaign, whether it's Trump or Biden or who else. It doesn't matter running a campaign against the Fed because the Fed's screwing up the economy during an election year. So they're going to smooth it. They're going to try to make it easy as possible. doesn't mean bad things can't happen or some geopolitical event. It just means it's probably not coming from the Fed. I mean, if history's is any, any indicator, presidential election years, the Fed has always been accommodative, almost always. So the Fed is going to be accommodative and and make things nice. So anyway, a a, a full week in January, and again, what a few days makes. Remember, the first week was really weak. The first four days out of the shoot was just a big sell-off, especially on the NASDAQ. And then we had two big days, and then a little bit of a consolidation. We'll kind of see how that plays out and see how it goes forward. Because remember, there's an old adage on Wall Street, so goes January, so goes the year. And they've had studies on the first five to seven days in January determining the market. And then they have studies on the whole month of January. And anyway, I'll let the, uh, 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 Don and the team dive into that uh, later. Uh, but the big news is Bitcoin ETFs are here. They got approved yesterday, the day before. I think it was Wednesday evening and Thursday. Yesterday, they were trading, and they are here, and there were lots of them all out of the gate. I'll give you a whole list of tickers, volume. The big boys are even offering it free for a few months or until they get a certain amount of assets under management. Oops, some of them are already there. So that that free uh, Bitcoin ETF, it was transitory. It was transitory. but in any event, let's where are my uh, Bitcoin tickers? OK? Uh, and there's a bidding war right now going on for the lowest issuers and lowest fees. Bitwise Bitcoin ETF, ticker BITB. it's 0.2 basis points, but it's zero for the first six months or one billion in assets, folks. If these Bitcoin ETFs are any good, the good ones, they're going to get a bit, billion dollars in assets in just a day or in very short time. In fact, I think one of them hit it already. Uh, the ARK21 shares Bitcoin ETF, ARKB, 20 BIPs, 20.2%. Zero for the first six months or $1 billion in assets, same thing. Fidelity Wise Origin Bitcoin Trust, FBTC, and 0% until July 1st. So at least Fidelity is letting you be zero until July 1st. Wisdom Tree Bitcoin Fund, BTCW, 0.30, 0% for six months or 1 billion. Invesco Galaxy Bitcoin, BTCO, 39.39%. So it's a little bit higher. Uh, and it's zero for the first six months, or five billion in assets. So they got to get five billion before they'll start dinging you for the first six months. Valkyrie Bitcoin ETF BRRR 0.49 zero for the first three months. iShares Bitcoin Trust IBIT. This is the big. This is the one. This is iShares. This is the one that actually I think got the most assets yesterday. I'll let Don or the guys kind of confirm that. But 0.25 percent. Or 0.12 percent for the first 12 months, so basically half the price for the first 12 months. Vanek Bitcoin Trust, Hoodle H O D L, I love that ticker. 0.25 percent, and they're just charging 0.25 percent. There's no free ride for a little while. Uh, neither is the Frank, Franklin Bitcoin ETF EZBTC. It's 0.29 percent, and the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. GBTC, which was the old, the one that was original, it wasn't. A, it's switching now to this um, um, one based on uh, the spot price of Bitcoin versus Bitcoin futures. It was one and a half percent. They're going to have to change very quickly. Uh, so we'll have to see what they change. And there was one more that actually wasn't on this list. I don't have it in front of me. Maybe Connor had one of the boys sent me a uh, one of the team sent me a a. A, a list and it had one extra ticker on there but it wasn't in this article so in any event but here's the the big thing i want to know number one how are you going to know which is the bit look the difference between five basis points point oh you know just little bits is really not as important to me as how they kind of manage the fund so it really and, and 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 we'll just have to see how they go and if hopefully if they all are very highly correlated and it's just a commodity then you would take the lowest one with the highest liquidity but i'll let the uh, team uh talk about how they're going to evaluate these funds and know when to know when it's a tulip craze i mean remember back in the internet days in the in the in the right up into the to the tech wreck in 2000 they said the internet and all this the internet was going to have this huge uh productivity gains and the, the nasdaq had a huge run up and probably overshot to the upside and then it rolled right back over and had a crash cuz it was overdone kind of the same thing could 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 occur with ai people the blue sky the the feeling of good uh all the productivity gains in the future could make the stocks run up too far, too fast. I'm not saying it's happening. I'm just saying that's what you got to be careful of. Well, with this Bitcoin, same deal. And remember, these are the big boys that are getting you all lathered up and all excited. So it's called priming the pump. They actually will go in and start buying the first couple days, cause a big uh, pop in the underlying commodity, the Bitcoin, so that when these funds come out, everybody wants them. So... I'm not saying they're bad or good or either way. They're just, you know, look, any stock, I like it when it's going up. I don't like it when it's going down. Bottom line. All right. So before, so that's a lot of information. Don, you want to hit the Bitcoin while we're on that right now, or do you want to go to the mailbag first? I'll give that your choice.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about Bitcoin. From what I'm seeing, some of these aren't going to be liquid enough to even consider. Uh, the one that was missing, the ticker was DDEFI. That's traded the that's least right. of the eleven. Uh, BTCW appears to be fairly illiquid. Also, the winner is going to be uh, the iShares, which it doesn't surprise me. They're already a ETF behemoth, and that's the 0.25 uh, fee, 0.12 for the first 12 months, and that's by far the most liquid right now, and the spreads are a penny. Uh, so. That's, I would guess, going to be the, the the winner of this. Second place probably Fidelity at this point, FBTC, uh, wow. with a point two five AUM also. And uh, that'll cheapest, be zero.
1: That that'll be zero till July first. The Fidelity.
0: But uh, IBIT is for the first uh, five billion and well, yeah, they may. Like you said, I, I don't know what their billions in assets are right now. I know. IBIT's already traded thirteen million shares today and it was the heaviestly traded, except for GBTC, but they've got a problem, as you said, with that 1.50 fee. They're the they're the established one in the business. They had uh an ETN that traded on over the counter. Um but this is the, the, and it converted to a spot ETF. So they have the most assets under management right now, but they can't keep uh, that fee. I saw an interview yesterday and he was trying to justify the fee, but people will go, capital will flow to where it's treated best. And that's just too big of a spread between these, uh, you know, 30 basis points and five times that you gotta be a fool to stay in GBTC.
1: Absolutely, so quick question, so quick question. So, with us, with Revere, with lots of clients, assuming we want to take a, a a bitcoin trade we want this we want exposure, okay we would actually look in favor toward the i b i t that's got uh, 0.12, at released for now and we'd be uh, twenty five basis points, so we'll pay up a li- pay a little bit higher fee because of the liquidity and because of the low spread than Taking one that may be free for a couple months, or even a slightly lower fee, but it's very illiquid because of the spreads are higher.
0: Yeah, accurate. And and these are um, we're not, we're not in a rush to get it in now. This was a, this has been a classic sell the news initially after a big pop yesterday morning, uh, down uh, another seven percent today after being down uh, yesterday or being well off the highs yesterday. But BITO, which is what we had been using, we sold it uh, last week while the dust clears, their fee, this is based on the futures. You can see the the two ugly uh, bars right there. Uh, Their fee is 0.9, so that's not gonna gonna be a a consideration also. The only one related to the futures that we might stick with, and this was if we were low in cash and we wanted to take advantage of leverage, BITX is uh, at two times, whatever bitcoin is but my my lean right now would be to the BITI.
1: BITI. Okay. All right, and by the way folks, this is Sorry, some, I-B-I-T. Oh, yeah, yeah, Sorry yeah, I-B-I-T. IBIT. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, IBIT. Yeah, the I share. One. Now, here's another interesting note and I'm not sure why but Vanguard says no. No, nope, can't trade it on our platform. We're not going to trade those ETFs if you want bitcoin ETFs, you need to go somewhere else. We're not doing it. Merrill Lynch, eh, maybe. We don't know. We're going to think about it. They're evaluating it. They're evaluating it. Can't do it yet. Schwab, hell yeah, bring it on. Come on, let's do it. Now, I'm kind of surprised Vanguard did not jump on the bandwagon here, especially with iShare, BlackRock backing it so big. Because usually the three, iShare, BlackRock, Fidelity, and Vanguard, Those three are normally in cahoots together working on these things, and so it's kind of surprising. But I think you're going to see uh, lots of fun flows out of Vanguard uh, if they don't offer this pretty quick. I think they're going to have to change their mind. All right, so enough about the Bitcoin. Uh, Now I want to get to the mailbag. This is going to be a little bit long. I'm going to try to uh, go over it pretty quickly and just kind of hit the highlights. And this was actually a show uh, from the end of December. I, I had missed this. Remember I said uh, there weren't any mailbags this week? Actually, I was wrong. There was, and I was just busy, so I didn't want to uh, let it go. Uh, great show uh, this weekend. Your timing on, uh, we had Alex uh, katutas He's a options trader and a, a, a stock trader that used to work for us, but he, and he's still a consultant. He's a consultant with us, and uh, we have him on occasionally. Uh, he's on all of our calls every day and works closely with us. Anyway, great show this weekend. Your timing to have alex couldn't have been more timely just brushing up on my options knowledge uh one thing alex uh didn't mention is that in addition to greeks one has to understand how implied volatility will affect option pricing high volatility you usually means you're going to pay up for the option it always means you're going to pay up for the option volatility is what actually sets the price of the option, or the main variable to f- set the price uh can can affect option pricing. I enjoy hearing the tr- uh, how he trades and he uh, and what he does to prepare. Firehose—he's uh, no- a firehose of knowledge, like you said. Any chance we can do a segment for options? Options is pretty deep. Uh, we might touch on it occasionally, but it's it's pretty—it's uh, a pretty deep dive for uh, a lot of the listeners. Some of them do like it. If we get enough feedback, we might do it occasionally. Um, Also, I wanted to ask you about SPAXX. I think the ticker might be wrong, but anyway, I got 20k sitting in my checking account, non-trading, only earning 2.5%. My check is with Fidelity, expense ratio 0.42. Is there a better place to hold my cash? Historically, and I think she's talking about a treasury government money market fund. It's uber low returns. That's true. uh, But it's really beefed up yield. Uh, I'll get out when rates drop below 3. Can you find, uh, is there a better alternative, relatively risk-free? You concur? Have any other uh, suggestions? Thanks for all you guys are doing. Uh, I'm also interested in any changing strat uh, any changes in the trading strategy as as a result of 2023. And what you know, you review. We always do a review at the end of the year, looking at stuff, what we could have done better. Uh, yeah, we'll be putting that out. Any changes we do on position sizing? Really, we want to focus on um, how to get get in a little bit earlier off the bottom. That's one of the best. And we're having an outside data scientist look at those things, and we're actually analyzing ourselves, too. Uh, P.S., thank you for the rub. We did receive it. Appreciate it. Yes, she got the rub. The USPS did not steal her rub. All right. So finally, my answer. Yes, the Treasury Money Market Fund is the best option right now for idle cash at the moment due to the inverted yield curve. It shouldn't be. Normally, that's not the case. It's the, theoretically the lowest risk. I won't go to that. But lowest risk, you know, the interest rate is normally the, how you, the cost of money is risk. The higher the risk, I mean, the higher the interest, the higher the risk. High-yield bond or junk bond, those are the same, okay? Junk bonds got higher than investment grade. That's higher than treasuries normally. Well, right now, treasuries are actually higher than investment-grade bonds. So why buy an investment-grade bond when you can buy a a, a treasury? That's causing friction in the market. It's freezing up the market. But regarding to her question, right now, while treasuries are the Higher this yielding, that's where you want to be. Now I said yes. The Treasury money market fund is the best option for idle cash at the moment because of the inverted real, uh, yield curve. Um, I wrote this that the, that the um, uh, the yield, the seven day yield, that's how they measure those things, is coming down and it's coming down hard today. Actually, the, the yields on on, on interest rates. Now, I just looked before I came in this morning. Uh, the three-month key bill is 5.35%. Six-month is 5.8, and nine-month is 4.8. So, folks, you get more money for three months than you do for nine months. Now, you've got to roll that over every three months at the ex- exact same rate to get that 535 Annualized, they always quote it as an annualized rate. So it's 5.35% on an annualized basis or sort of divided by four. So you got to redo that four times. So the question is if you think rates, and this is very important, if you think rates are going to come down enough, you may want to do an individual T bill, go buy one in six months or uh, or nine months. Because you will lock in that rate versus these money market funds, these mo- these treasury money market funds, they're paying 5.25 right now. But if you buy it in a week, and by the way, they'll come down as you over the, over the week or month. Next week, they could be 4.8. Whereas if you buy an individual T-bill, you lock it in at least for that period. So there may be a reason you may want to go out nine months and lock in that 4.8, because if you thought the 5.35, the three-month, when you re-up it, it's only going to be three, then you're going to get a blended rate. So you've, you've got to figure out, number one, how long you want this safe money intact. In other words, if you're only going to keep it for a month or two or three, I'd probably just do a a treasury money market fund. If it's for safe money that you want to keep as safe money, I would probably do a laddered individual T-bill portfolio, not a treasury money market fund because you will make a little bit higher yield. We actually do that for some clients that just want a little side account with safe cash. In any event, those are the... Uh that was the first one now. This is a follow up. Uh, any anticipated changes to the rules uh uh regarding taking profits, position sizes. I like like you many of your listeners and appreciate this discussions around strategy. Danny fun, funny you mentioned the 8 EMA, the 8 exponential moving average. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Um I have a note in my own set of questions I ask myself before picking placing a trade. Uh, What is the pink? She's talking about the moving average. Uh, What is the pink line doing? Is it going up sideways or down? If it's going up, it's bullish. True. If sideways, momentum is slowing. Not necessarily. If it's coming down and then starts going sideways, that means momentum is diminishing. It depends on from which direction it's flattening. So if it's going up and then flattening, that means momentum is waning. If it's coming down and flattening, selling, I mean, sorry, when it's going up and then flattening, that means buying strength is is weakening. Buying is getting weaker, okay? If it's coming down, selling and then flattening, that means selling pressure is weakening. It's more bullish. So it actually depends on from which direction the line is coming when it starts to flatten. And obviously, if it's going down, it's bearish, correct? trying to establish trading rules for dummies. Uh, I'm also attaching a weekly spy the gray circle a week around well we don't have that using heil- hiking ashy candles and trend lines. I did notice those trend lines and cha- oh um, while I was trading I noticed those trend lines and channels were useful. I'm interested in your thoughts using trend lines as opposed to moving averages Don I know you follow Adam Mancini uh, and he is a trend line area supports resistance trader. Okay, um, number one lesson I learned myself is to focus on number one lesson she said she learned is to focus on a little bit longer time frames as opposed to the intraday. I agree. You want to focus on different get a perspective from different time frames. Me, trend lines and moving averages are not mutually exclusive, and in fact, I am more confident of the probabilities when they both line up together. And then I'll let Don chime in on the hiking as she candles. Don?
0: Yeah, we we uh, I don't know a whole lot about those candles. I know they're modified based on a, a formula and, and is designed to keep you in a trend longer and kind of smooth the candle out. Uh, from what I read about them, they're they're kind of interesting. I want to take a closer look at them, but my primary my primary charts don't show candles uh, in the first place. I just use the bar charts uh, or the um, bar. Yeah, the uh, right. individual uh, high low close for uh, that we get off of IBD but yeah as far as trend lines go and that you you kind of hit the nail on the head there Dan when you said they're not mutually exclusive we like it both we like them when they both line up and that, this is a classic case that line I just drew of them uh, lining up where you had uh, a strong uptrend in the S&P 500 we knew we were. Uh, we've been extended above the 50-day moving average for a while. We're expecting a pullback. We got the pullback. It was very harsh, especially in growth stocks in the first week of 2022. But as far as the indexes go, it pulled back and stopped right where it needed to, which is the 21-day moving average. So successful support there, uh, which also lined up with a. I, I drew. I draw horizontal lines all the. Um, that was also uh, a, a support area. We broke the downtrend line this past Monday on a day where there was just uh, a trend up day all day. You can see on um, this 10-minute chart right here, th- there's like no pullback at all on Monday. This was just accumulation all day long and was a change in character. It was right where we needed at 4680 level, which was the 21 day moving average. And then we've uh, uh, progressed further to the upside. This 4800 level uh, very clearly has been resistance the last two days. So um, it's really been a decent five day up move that we probably need to consolidate a little bit, at least uh, come back to, maybe this 4750-ish level, uh, retrace half of it. And then uh, that's about the time that the 21-day moving average will catch up to price. If indeed we do pull back like that, and then we'll see that's where the rubber will meet the road. We're either going to break above 4,800 or we're going to possibly come down and test the 50-day moving average. Uh, But we've got very clear levels uh, that should hold being last week's lows Uh, And uh, on the downside and this week's highs on the upside, that being 4,800 on the upside uh, and on the downside last week's low, which was uh, 4,682. So and then before we even get there, we'll have the 21 day moving average, which, you know, usually you can test a couple times before you go into a longer uh, pullback that this is a very steep line that we're moving up a full percent in. Uh, the 50-day moving average every four days. Uh, so this is going to, any sideways action, this is going to catch up to price pretty quickly. Recall we were, um, you know, 6 7% above the 50-day moving average. We're 3.7% now after going basically sideways for the last three weeks. But uh, healthy action in leaders, especially yesterday, they're pulling back a little bit today. Uh, and this pullback really separated the, uh the contenders from the pretenders as anything that is not back above its 21 day moving average and i detailed this in a video i looked at 30 names about half of them have reclaimed and maintained their leadership status the other half have languished and uh it's clear which ones you should be in and not be in from that action Uh, anything that you you, at a minimum you want your uh holding to be at least on a short-term basis doing as well as the S&P 500 relative to its 221 day moving average so if the S&P is above there your stock should be too if you're taking a longer term time frame that's fine uh, you're giving it more room but presumably you presumably you've got gains that you're sitting on if you're going to give it uh, that longer time frame but uh, Healthy action, no no red flags in the market if we do see red flags, and we did see some the first week in some growth stocks, but a change in character this week, separating, as I said, the contenders from the pretenders. Uh, we've had some really nice leaders with good gains this week that we were fortunate enough to be in, like uh, CrowdStrike. I'll just show a couple of them. CrowdStrike, uh, definite leader. Held the 21 and then blasting to higher highs. Uh, Nvidia breaking above the 500, uh, looking looking fantastic. Eli Lilly LLY uh, up around new highs too, breaking out of this flat base. So um, those are some of the uh, the tickers that we're in that are acting well. We also got Uber as it. This is this goes to the contender versus pretender. Uh, it became it, it broke below the 21 day the first week, but look at the last five trading. Uh, Monday back above the 21, that's what we wanted to see, and then just taking off to the upside uh, since then. Volume pattern's not the best, but price action, fantastic on Uber. So uh, let's take a look at one that's not doing. Uh, as as well as it was when we got stopped out of the first week is PATH. This had a great reaction to earnings. It broke above that level in late December and was looking like it was gonna be a, a true leader, but it broke the 21 day moving average the first week and has languished since then, still above the 50 day moving average, but this is not what you wanna see on a relative strength basis in something uh, that's a leader. So that's a very clear uh, example leading versus uh what's not leading
1: yes stay stay on that you stay on that for one second so the, the on the first example you showed how the bullish setup was setting up where it held not only the support but also the trend line, it was breaking the trend line and it was holding the support so that's kind of a buy if you haven't gotten in yet. That would be a good buy. On that one, you're showing just the opposite. It's actually negative because it broke down. It broke through the trend line. It's got a negative trend line going down and the 50 day is, or I'm sorry, the uh, 21 or 50 day, is that the green, the 50? is actually, 21, the green line, yeah. yeah. That's a negative, that's a negative slope and that's so you've got multiple indicators that are core, that are confirming so both of right. those okay all right well i yeah. appreciate don that, that that's an awesome uh, th- so going back one question to bitcoin cuz i'm kind of thinking that i mean nobody really knows and that's why we measure things in real time while it's happening what is happening while it's happening but on bitcoin you know, I hate to say feel, but I feel like it could be a setup like, you know, an IPO, the IPO, like Facebook, you get the big bowl, you get a base, and then after a while, after it forms that bowl, that's the time to get in. Of course, it may be even earlier. It might just be that a few days, because it, it is a commodity, it's a little different than a stock. How are you going to know? What's going to tell you the, t- the timing of it?
0: I drew these two lines on here, uh, very clearly a failed breakout on the hype on Thursday. Back into the base in this line, I drew right above this 20 level, that's the support. That's the bottom uh, of the flat base that it's forming right now. If it, it should pull back to that level and hold, that's roughly gonna correspond with the 50 day moving average. And that would be a great risk reward. You You may go a little bit lower and fill this gap down here to the 1923 level, you can see this big gap up here on Bitcoin that occurred uh, on, hold on, let me get the date for that. Jeez, Uh, 12.4 on December 4th. And we undercut and we have tested that level a couple of times. So somewhere between this 1920 and 2022 level on BITO, uh, but we're not going to buy BITO. I mean, you can't look at the charts right now. They're only, they've only been trading for two days right, of the right. other uh, the new e, the new spot ETFs. But so you're that using chart yeah. level.
1: Yeah, you're using this chart to should, to be able to key off the the newer ones because it's basically based on the on the on the spot Bitcoin price. But that's another perfect example where the support line and the moving average of 50 day come together at the same place, and so you got two. Different confirming indicators that kind yeah. of feel more somewhere
0: between yeah. Bitcoin's trading uh, around forty three thousand four hundred right now. It's uh, a little afternoon on Friday. Uh, it should hold on a pullback. It should hold uh, forty one thousand four three hundred ish. Let's say forty one thousand. Uh, but then there is a gap that it can be filled all the way down to 38,000. So that corresponds to this no man's land here uh, that I'm showing between 1920 and uh, 1923 and 2022 uh, on this level here for the BITO chart. All right. So that's, well- uh, that would be where, and I like I said, as of right now, IBIT is, um, the iShares product that's liquid with a penny spread and that would be um, our preferred method of getting in.
1: And guys, remember if you're talking about literally 5 basis points, 0.05 or 0.1% difference, if the the ETF you buy has a 3 or 4 penny wide spread versus a 1 penny wide spread, you may pay much more than that <laughs> on the execution of your trade. So that's why you gotta look at those things. It's not just which is the cheapest itself, it's also got to have a narrow spread because if it doesn't have a narrow spread, it's not necessarily that cheap. Anyway, all right, guy uh, Don, what does the team have for us today?
0: Let's start with Michael. How's the
2: volume? Can you guys hear me? Sounds great. Yeah, audio's great. The audio good. Yeah. All right. So we'll get to it. Uh, so I wanted to revisit something I've spoken about copper a little bit, or maybe a lot. I I was looking for videos where I did some deep dives on it and I couldn't really find any except for where I talked about the, the case for FCX. So I just wanted to make a video here and I'll make a longer video that, that, uh, viewers I'll, I'll do a deeper dive, but for the podcast, just wanted to get into the fundamentals of copper and explain why. I'm looking at it as such a strong theme over the next few years. So if you look at a chart of copper and the copper names, the biggest producers like FCX, they've been kind of consolidating for the last two years and they haven't broken out. And that's because commodities like copper in the short term are affected by these these near-term factors. So you've got concerns out of China, potential for a global slowdown, you, the the market really focuses on these things short term. So you've got inventories at the highest levels in the last two years. And that is a concern, but if you zoom out and look at the trajectory of those inventories over a 10 year period, going back to 2014 and, and earlier, you'll see that inventories, even with this rise in the last two years are historically super, super low. And the theme for me and what I'm really seeing, and it'll take some time for, for market to recognize this because of these short-term influences is that starting in 2025 the primary supply of copper begins to fall off a cliff and the issue the reason why supply is is falling off a cliff and it's so difficult to get that supply is that mines are taking longer and longer to come online this is because it's a heavily heavily regulated industry and it's very capital intensive so what that means is that You have to outlay a lot of capital you have to finance these projects to get a return later in the future and there aren't going to be new projects unless the price is high enough to justify that investment because a company that wants to take a loan because as i said they're super super capital intensive these projects they're not going to get a loan for 10 years if they're not making any money and the price isn't high enough for them to even make a positive return on that investment so it, it, it's not something where you just go and say, oh, you know what? Today, we're going to turn on the machines and start mining and, and drilling and getting new copper out of, out of the ground. It takes, it takes 10 years to get, to get new mines online and in a world where global demand for copper is set to double. And I have mentioned this, it's set to double in the next 27 years. And that's because you've got demand from EV and renewables, you've got housing. And data and cables so you've got cables and data centers, renewable energy generation, anything that uses energy, anything that creates electricity and uses energy requires copper to conduct that electricity and transfer that energy, you can't do it without it there I mean you can use you can use aluminum. It's not as conductive as copper but copper is really the the main metal you want to use for that and it's what's been used for forever and there, there's no replacement at the moment. Um, and the issue is, what do you do if you run out of copper? So as we've seen in Europe, timelines are already starting to get pushed back. There were some really aggressive targets for, for the banning, no, new, no more sales of internal combustion engines. They kind of pushed that back a little because they're seeing that's not really feasible. <laughs> and for net zero targets around the world, it's also you like if you don't have the copper to do it you can't you can't accomplish net zero without the materials you need to to do that otherwise it it's uh it's an aspiration not a not a real policy objective so we'll see if the world is prepared to push back these timelines and and go back on all the investment they've done in renewables and pushing evs and having companies You've got companies like Ford and GM really investing heavily into EVs. It, uh, it'll, it'll be very strange and difficult for them to go back now on on these policies. It is possible, but you can't do it if, if you don't have the copper. So the copper market's very mature. So even if prices were to double today, it would still take many, many years for this supply to come online. Because as I said, you have to outlay all this capital. You have to actually start mining for it. You have to get it out of the ground. So it takes a lot of time. So what does that mean? In my opinion, and a lot of copper experts, uh, a lot of the companies, of course, they're going to say this because it's their business, but a lot of outside experts as well that don't run these companies say the only way out of this, the only thing that's possible to get more supply is higher prices. So I suspect that in the next few years, we will see meaningfully higher prices. Three fifty-four dollar copper today is very, very different than it was twenty years ago, ten years ago. You've got high—I mean, just inflation alone, wage inflation, what it costs now to pay workers—all of those are costs that the companies have to incur in order to get this supply out of the ground. You have to factor that into the price. If the price doesn't go up along with their costs, it's—it's it's not economically feasible for them to to mine the copper. So you know you need this supply. You're gonna to have to do something to get it, and that'll result. The only way to accomplish that is with higher prices. So, we'll see. We'll see how long it takes. But that's that's the copper thesis.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Michael. Um, so there's a little. So he thinks like there's going to be a little bit of a bottleneck on the supply, and that's going to help um, the prices of copper going forward. I will tell you what, Michael nailed it on uranium. He'd been talking about uranium for six months a year now, and uranium had a huge pop. Uh, today, I think, or yesterday. I think it's today. Um, and because they're- Hey, I in, got a question. Uh, Go ahead.
0: Got a question. Mike, Where, where? I have up uh, yeah. CPER, which is an ETF that tracks the price of copper. What is the price of copper right now? Approximately. The price of
2: copper is, I think, 3, 380, 378. Okay, so, Between 375 okay, and 380. So it changed a bit today, but yeah.
0: Okay, so uh, back when CPER, and I'm wondering how well this CPA, a lot of these commodity ETFs do not track the price of the commodity very well because they use a combination of the front two months futures and contango really eats into the returns.
1: Right, right. Uh,
0: Yes. So uh, do you have any idea what copper was trading at in... March, I don't know if you can have a chart that you can pull up on your end. in March of 2022 when CPER was at its high up around $30 relative to 2330 where it's trading right now.
2: Yeah, I think that's where it co- copper peaked. It was around 450. Um I I can check, okay.
0: but um
1: I'm looking at So it right really, I think it was around that so 450
0: we've got like, region. So we've got 30 plus percent upside just to get back to where we were when demand was not even anywhere near where it is two years later from where the price last peaked. So uh, seeing a lot of value here, are you, Mike?
2: Well, I'm just seeing the supply
1: (laughs) issue and- He's baiting you, uh, Mike. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, I mean,
0: you know, you want want fundamentals to match the price when the fundamentals are there and the price isn't quite yet. We look for, and this is why we're in FCX right now. uh, It, along with the price of copper had, two nice starts back in the beginning of december uh and in the beginning and in late december they haven't followed through to the upside uh and neither has fcx but if it does we're we're ready for it
1: so yeah the, yeah, the uh, high was you see full-
0: fcx the big gap up on twelve yeah. fourteen.
2: yeah and and the thing the thing with copper and copper miners is it's they commodities like copper are extremely difficult to time because they're, they're, they're very macro sensitive. So any economic data, if you're not paying attention to every release, and I mean, there, there could be a surprise the same way CPI, no one knows what CPI is going to be. If all of a sudden you get, you get strong economic data out of, out of China or out of India or anywhere you could get, because we have such a tight supply, you could get a massive gap, uh, unexpectedly. So. It is extremely difficult to to time these, which is why I'm kind of looking at the long term and and positioning for that.
0: Gotcha. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, Don. Let's the high on. was the, the the high was four point uh, six seven five uh, back in July of twenty three uh, uh, back a couple couple years ago. So that that okay. was high.
0: Good deal. All right, uh, Ted. Tell us what you got this week. Yep. So
3: today I just wanted to review the volatility contraction pattern and show a couple recent examples of pretty much a model book example of that within bases and then give a current example of one's trying to set up for the upside. So what I hear, what I have on the screen right now is a chart of Nvidia, which broke out a few days ago. Um As you can see, I I drew in the boxes that show the contractions. And before I talk about NVIDIA, just wanted to review what a VCP is. Essentially, it's just a characteristic within a base where you go from the left to the right and you see a series of contractions. And oftentimes, or usually, the left contraction is the widest in terms of its correction or pullback. And then subsequently, usually it's about 50% um, every uh, subsequent contraction. So as, as you can see on the screen, nvidia pretty much follows that from the green box to the orange box to the red box before breaking out and what this what this characteristic within a, within a base kind of indicates is that supply stop coming to market the strong hands aka institutions are absorbing the weaker hand stock as they accumulate along the along the lows of the base and they slowly push up the price and eventually there's less there's no supply that comes to the market and then if there's some demand you explode out of the base. So on the screen here is the NVIDIA daily and weekly chart. And as you can see, you can, you can observe the characteristics of the VCP on both the daily weekly, and weekly, as well as other timeframes, which I'll sh- show you on the third set of charts later on. And then, Don, if you could pull up the Nikki futures. I put this chart in here because I just want to make the point that these chart characteristics and patterns transcend asset classes. Um, they also transcend time frames. So we can observe these on multiple numbers of asset classes and actually the majority of asset classes and various time frames. And on the charts the Nikki and almost identical uh, pattern and characteristics as Nvidia and the breakout right now is pretty much similar as well, like three, four days up in a row. And very explosive. And these are the types of moves that we we want to catch because they're high velocity. We can get them. We can get a big move out of it in a short period of time. And then finally, I want to pull up the gold futures daily chart, just to show that quickly. And you could observe those characteristics just like the NVIDIA and Nikki chart. And I'll just keep this on the screen for a couple seconds just so the audience can see it. As you can see, again, the most common number of contractions I've observed is the three contractions. And we've talked about it before on the show. Markets tend to move in three waves. And even for these contractions, you could see that here. And then finally, Don, if you pull up the last set of charts. Dan, sorry, were you going to say something?
1: Well, I, so I just wanted to clarify, or I just wanted to help the listener. You're saying that you get three pullbacks, or you get successive pullbacks, and each successive pullback is it's not about the price or the depth of the pullback. It's about the time, how long it takes to complete the pullback. So the first pullback, if it's three months, the next one may be a month and a half. And that's that would because it's roughly 50 percent of each time. So each time it gets shorter and at, when it, as it gets shorter and shorter. That's when you're looking for the breakout.
3: Yeah, well, it gets shorter in duration and magnitude as well.
1: Okay, yes. So, right. so it is so it is yeah. price range Both. so it's yeah. it's also price yeah. range and time. All right, I just want to clarify
3: that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Okay. Thanks. And then so finally I just have the weekly chart of the gold futures and monthly and if you just glance at it you might just think it's the exact same chart, but no. This the first top chart is a 4-year time frame on the weekly chart and then the monthly I have up is a decade long. And the point I just want to make here is that time frame or as a class, it doesn't matter. These chart patterns are indicative of the laws of supply and demand and human nature, and we want to pick up these when they present, when when they show up in our screens.
1: It's very cool. Good
0: stuff, Ted, thanks. Let's wrap it up with Connor.
4: Yeah, today I wanted to talk about some key anchored view apps on IWM small caps. I've mentioned Anchored ViewOps before, um, great tool for the analysis and it can help uh, spot turning points. So just objectively looking at IWM, it's been in a huge multi-month range. That 160 is the lower uh, end of the range and 200 is the top. And as you can see, you know when we got to that 160, the world was ending, small caps were going more down, but it held that low end of the range. And then it rallied all the way back up into this 200 level. That's a very key spot. And um, anchored view apps work the best at huge inflection points. So over the you know last three years, two of the most important spots have been the COVID lows and all time highs. And as you can see in this chart, they're getting super pinched together in this range between um, you know 185 and 187. The red line's the anchored view out from the COVID low, and then the blue line's from all-time highs. So small caps are rejecting that 200 level, and now they're pulling back into this cluster. So, you know, this is going to be an extremely important spot. It's at the middle of this range, and, um, you know, you could say it was a failed breakout above 200, but... With these, I'm viewing it more as, you know, it's trying to break out and then it's coming back into these two levels that um, are going to be very important. So that's that's what we're watching here on small caps. And if you,
0: Don, if you go to the next chart, um, just some examples.
4: Yeah, so this is uh, this is XLF. This is financials, and this is a big weight in IWM. A lot of a lot of financial names in small cap. so this is important. And as you can see here, um, this index, they, it didn't get quite as tight as IWM, but as you can see, once it um, held above these and it even back tested that COVID low, um, financials have been trending nicely, and then the last chart. Um, If the viewers remember uh, when the S&P broke the 200 day, um, there was a lot of panic, but the index is the S&P 500 bounced precisely off that anchored view app from all time highs. And this isn't really hindsight because we are looking at this real time in the moment. Um, And there was an episode back that I covered where you could see that this was a key level. And although we we were below the 200 day moving average, This level was extremely important and it held and and the S&P's up nine weeks in a row off that. So, yeah, the main point is IWM's coming into a key spot. That's an important proxy for the market right now in the stocks that we're trafficking in, you know, growth stocks and whatnot. And that's a good risk on risk off index to follow. So we'll be keeping an eye on those in that 185, 187
1: area.
0: All right. Good stuff, Connor. That wraps it up from our end, Dan.
1: All right, folks. Listen, uh, by the way, uh, last show I mentioned that I had a couple boxes of books uh, written by Bill O'Neill. It wasn't how to make money in stocks. And I couldn't quite recall exactly what the name of the book is. It's 24 essential lessons for investing success. Right by bill o'neill and if you want to reach out to me if you're in the dfw area and you want to come by and pick up a free book i've got lots of them you could actually pick up one or two if you want and read them it's it's actually a very good read and it kind of highlight kind of goes over a few of the uh, of the things that, that it actually is and how to make money in stocks it's actually a good read folks listen if you like what you heard please tell a friend tell a neighbor just send them to revereasset.com and up in the right hand corner there's a subscribe button they can hit the subscribe button and we won't reach out to them or you know spam them or Sell their email address or any of that stuff. It's up to them to reach out to us. And by the way, there's a contact button up there too. It sends me an email directly. And uh, they can ask for a complimentary portfolio review, talk about a topic or a stock they want talked out uh, on the air. And you can email any of us Dan at revereasset.com, Don at revereasset.com, Michael Ted or Connor at revereasset.com. And you can always call us old school at 855. 855- real well folks take care this weekend stay warm we may be working from home next week on your money